Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero to Dave with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. Here on Zero Today is our goal, is our uh, everything we do is to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And we are here to empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. So that's what we're here to do, and we always invite you to join us on this illuminating journey. And there are several ways you can do that. Primary way, if you want to get your thoughts in, sites, two cents, five cents, ten cents, a dollar in, uh, comments in, thoughts in, whatever, you can call on the line 347-237-5230. That is the number to call to get your thoughts and opinions on the air live. Join us on the chat line. Uh, <clears throat> the chat line, simply go to blogtalkradio.com uh, slash zero today, and you can get in on the chat line. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow us on uh, Facebook page, Zero Network Facebook page. Follow us uh, everywhere. <laughs> uh, we're all over the place. We're, we're really trying to do as much as we can, so we appreciate your support. And we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about um, Bishop Paul Morton and uh, uh, his his daughter that he has not publicly acknowledged. Uh, so. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also be uh, talking a little bit more, uh, of course, fallout from the Zimmerman thing. Uh, we're going to do all of that as much as we can. But before we do any of that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for today. We praise you for your grace and mercy. We ask that you give us the sins and cleanse us. Pray that you will just bless the show and all the who will participate and listen, that they will be uh, blessed by it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Welcome back. Uh, we're back on vacation. Uh, took a little time off just to kind of enjoy uh, and rest and get some things. And of course, you know, I, I'm I'm working on my doctorate 
and uh and pastoral counseling and so had to focus a lot on that. Had a lot of things going on at the church also. So it's been a pretty busy summer. Um and there's some things we just had to kinda of prioritize and, and focus on. So we took a little vacation from uh broadcasting and in the process of doing so, you know, there's been a lot of things that's been going on and I there been there been there were there were weeks I just wanted to get online and, and get on the air and just you know, just rant. And I was like, no, this is your time to kind of focus on some things and uh, and to, and, you know, get you know, prioritized and you know, focus. And the show is, you know, you, know, you got time. So, so that's what I did. But uh, there were a lot of headlines, and I am not going to be able to touch on all the headlines that have happened uh, in the weeks that we've been uh, on a brief hiatus. But I think the most potent and of course the most um the the most um uh most distinguished story that's been out there the prominent story prevalent story is the way I was trying to say that's been out there is of course the Zimmerman verdict um the protests of that the rallies following that and uh even uh the president comments on that so I'm I'm spending a few minutes talking about that uh, before we get into our main topic, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I think the rhetoric that has been presented has just gotten outrageous on both sides. And you're talking about uh, – in all of my life, I, I have to admit this. The country has, in these last six, seven years, has been more racially divided than at any time in this period. I don't think we were even as racially divided during uh, – the uh, you know the civil rights movement as we are as now, detention detention of the races. Now uh, during the civil rights movement, there was a whole different type of tension and and racism. You know it was overt racism. You, you know it was just there. Uh, you couldn't avoid it. It was there. Now what we have is covert covert racism. It's subtle, and black people don't realize that they're instigating it. White people don't realize that they're instigating it, uh, and I'm not talking about the ones who are still members of the Ku Klux Klan or, you know, the the white party, right? You know, white people stuff. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ones. I'm talking about the sincere Americans who, if you were ask them face to face if they were racist, they would say no, they're not. But yet at the same time, particularly since this verdict. We've seen some of those most sincere people who love their country, love their God, you know, doing what would be considered racist things. Uh, so, and, and and I blame the media for that. I'm gonna be honest with you. The media blew up. The media blew up this thing from the beginning, um, making it as something it wasn't. And then when you get the race baiters like Al Sharpton involved, in particular, when you get individuals like him involved who who has a lost cause. Matter of fact, he doesn't have a cause at all. Uh, if you were asking him what his cause is, he wouldn't tell you. Know, he doesn't have a cause. He's an instigator, and yes, I'm saying that. He's an instigator. That's his job. He gets paid for keeping up this 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 idea of race. And um, there's nothing you can do about that because, it's, it's, you know, the media is allowing it to happen. Uh and, and and then when you get those others, and I'm not talking about the sincere black Americans who went through hell. That that's a that's a large wound. Some have not even healed from. And you know I've I've been seeing that since you know since I've been in Mississippi in particular. But 
you know, you have that. And then you have the young people who want to have a cause. And I think this is the this is the, the biggest problem since this Trayvon incident began. You have young people who want to have a cause but don't understand what a cause really is. So you have young people who've been rallying and, and, and doing all this in the name of Trayvon, but at the same time, while they're doing this, you know, they're not trying to implement change. They're only they're only you know, they're just rallying just because it's a, it's a cause. It's something for us to say that we support, even though we don't fully understand the construct of it, or we don't want to understand the construct of it. And 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 sadly, when you bring the president into this, and his words kind of it really upset me. You know, uh, what re- I'm gonna be honest with you, I was offended when he said Trayvon could have been him 35 years ago. No. Trayvon was not you, would not have been you 35 years ago. You're talking about a man who has never, never been exposed to the plight of black Americans until he got into, uh, you know, the the organization, organizing, community organizing in Chicago. Until then, he had never dealt, had to deal with the plight of being an African-American, a black male in particular. He didn't have to deal with it. You're talking about a man who... Grew up in prestige in Hawaii and in the Philippines, you know, overseas. Who grew up attending some of the most prestigious schools in both of those places. And having come back to America, attended Ivy League colleges. He didn't, he couldn't, there was no way he could have ever, you know, except for maybe the skin color. That's about the only way he could identify with, but, you know. And he in himself, his own history, would say that uh, uh, he, he he could not have identified. So I th- I took offense to that. Not say, not saying that he probably hadn't experienced some type of discrimination, but I, I doubt it very seriously because the schools that he attended, uh, you know, if you want to say it was he he got in on um, affirmative action, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I doubt that though. But uh, he he couldn't identify. He couldn't identify with it, and and um, so the black people uh, a great a great movement is rising up behind uh, this Trayvon, and, and it is a tragedy. I do not agree with the verdict, and I tell you why I don't agree with the verdict. I think the man should not have gotten off scotch free. I do think he should have, you know serve some time because he spent most of the time out on bail and in hiding and uh and we all know the justice system justice system when it comes to black males is not favorable that's just a given anybody who uh wants to argue argue that uh you can but it would be a, a losing argument uh the justice system is is uh skewed for people of color, and um, Mr. Mr. Zimmerman's um, his actions dictated the fact that he believed. However, he constructed that belief. We don't know, and he hasn't he hasn't you know determined how. But he believed that this person, and uh, and the, the person of young Trayvon Martin, was a menace in some degree. And because of that being a menace, 
You know, he stepped outside the bonds of the law as we think should function and took the law into his own hands. And as a result, uh, a young man is is gone. And yes, Trevon was flawed. And this is what hurt me the most about the whites who were sincere about their uh, <laughs> these sincere people who who say they're non-racist. You know, uh, the fact that yeah, there 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 were reports in autopsy about drugs in his system and and uh, Facebook pictures and things of that nature. But you're talking about a teenager. You know, I don't know. I I probably was one of the one of the most straight-laced teenagers there was. You know, I didn't do much, and when I did do, <laughs> when I did succumb to any kind of peer pressure, it, you know, it was mostly joking because. I just didn't fit in with it. most of my peer groups. I didn't. You know, I was the preacher boy. So I, I didn't fit in. So anytime I tried to fit in, it was just, you know, <laughs> my own peers were like, no, you can't do this. No, you shouldn't do that. Uh, but when you're talking about today's teenagers, it's a different, different construct of how they view life and how they interact with each other. And so, yes, he was putting on the thuggish image because that is probably perhaps what uh, he would have considered to be an acceptable view. Of himself, but what do I know? Uh, said all that to say that the travesty in this post Zimmerman verdict is that whites and blacks have now come to a full realization of how unjust America really is. And much as we don't want to admit it, America is an unjust society, it has been unjust since its conception. When the pilgrims came over, the Puritans came over from England seeking uh, religious freedom from religious persecution from the Church of England. When they came over here and they in, they confronted these Indians who they thought were hell-bound folk, the injustice began. You know, and the Indians tried to help them, and what they do? They killed them and took the lands and, you know, stuff like that. So the injustice has been going on and on and on for generations. And I doubt very seriously that it will change because of uh, of one verdict. Now, we can march all we want to. And I, I think the black church, uh, the black church should take more culpability in this because here's the reason. The black church, if we believe it to be the center of the black community, as it was, was during the civil rights era, it was the black church that was at the center of the community. The black pastor was at the center of the community. The black pastor and black teacher. Um, if if, I, if if we get back to that role, we'll see a greater sense of community and a greater sense of engagement with the community. So much so that as a collective, what we will find is that we will be more empowered to confront the ills and injustices that we see in our communities. Let me let me let me tell you why. Two two things that happened. Uh first thing is that the same weekend of the verdict in Chicago there were uh, about another three dozen or so shootings. Um and at least six of those resulted in death. I may have my number screwed because I don't have the facts and you know I don't have the facts and figures direct in front of me. Uh, and in Jackson, Mississippi, here in Jackson, Mississippi, the week following the um, the week uh, the week of the, the the verdict, a young black man was killed 
because of uh, he was he was breaking the law, and the citizen was was uh, trying to protect his 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 property, standing his ground, and uh, shot the young man dead for because the young man was stealing his property. Uh, and very uh, not even several days later, later, two teenage boys, sixteen and seventeen year old boys, were murdered, cold blooded, execution style, dumped in ditches in a neighborhood here in Jackson that where mostly uh, there is a quiet neighborhood and, and black people, you know, uh, elderly, you, you know, mostly elderly, senior community. Uh, and the killer of these boys have not has not been arrested. There are no leads for this for this crime. And according to uh, family members and others within the community, both of the young boys were not violent nature. They they didn't have you know they weren't gangster or anything of their nature. They were just regular teenagers. And some for some reason these two regular teenagers, just like Trevon, you know. They may have appeared to be thugged out, may not have been thugged out, but this is the image, you know. Again, this is what George Zimmerman, Zimmerman uh, profiled the image, and that led to his action. And these young black boys were slaughtered, their lives cut short, and no one who know, even the one who knows, isn't trying to come forward. He, and this is what amazes me, you know. This is I consider this a black on black crime. I do not believe that a white individual perpetrated the crime against these two young children, these children. And I tell you why. Uh I I just don't believe that a, a white man, woman or child would come into a black neighborhood and just randomly kill. And and, and again, I am going way out in speculation field on that. Okay? I believe it's a black on black crime. And it 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 grieves me to know that the person who committed this crime may have been a teenager himself or herself, may have been someone uh, acquainted with these two young men. And if there is a sense of guilt, that guilt is not driving them to turn themselves in, confess or anything, and they will try their best to get away with that crime because black folk don't snitch on black folk. And while, you know, while in Mississippi there's an open carry law now, uh, and, which basically means that you know, if you have a gun, you can have it anywhere out in the open. It doesn't even have to be licensed and registered. You have it, you have it, and, and there's some danger to that. And, and you know, there there are those who are fighting against that. And, and so those who have concealed carry law, you know, things of that nature, uh, licenses, it, it's one thing. Uh, but to know that you know that the greatest amount of violence that is committed in this country is committed by blacks. Against blacks, not all always gun violence, but when you think about the guns uh, that young people have, and I was when I was teaching, we had this issue. We had a young man, 17 years old, who had access. I'm um, not 17; he was 14 years old, and he had access to his parents' gun. And you know, he and his friend, and they were my students of mine. And I was well acquainted with both of them, and and uh, so we're doing testing, you know, state testing, and we go home from the day. But right before we go home from the day, one of the young boys come to me and say, Mr. Neal, you know, we're going to have practice today. And I'm like, no, nah, no, we're not. And just 45 minutes after leaving the campus, these two boys were playing and 
one young boy decided he was gonna, you know, he was real thug and gangster, and he was gonna play with his uh, with some of the guns that he had access to, and end up getting a 12 grade shotgun and killing his friend, one of his best friends, killing him dead. And you know, the guilt and trauma from from all of that, it, it went a long way. So I can imagine how the friends of these kids are feeling right now, uh, knowing that their child, their friends are dead, and no one is willing to come forward. What am I saying about all of this? I'm saying that that we need to have a collective effort to teach our young people the value of their life. Uh, and I, we were having this dialogue at my church following the Zimmerman uh, verdict, and when I asked, when my members asked me, how should we deal with this? And I said, well, the first and foremost thing, you have to acknowledge that the uh, justice system in this in this country is skewed toward people of color. You can't get away from that. There is, you know, there's an injustice. And you must tell these young black men in particular that the image that they portray to others is really, really important. They ain't got to be all stiff with white collars, you know, white shirts, you know, stiff collar shirts or whatever and polos or whatnot. You know, they, they don't have to do that, but they have to understand that they're being profiled when they have baggy pants. They're being profiled when, you know, they may have be, they might be tatted up. They're being profiled when they have teeth full of, 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 of what bling, you know, whatever it may be. They will be profiled even by their own people of color. You know, it's not the white folks who are doing most of the profiling. We blacks, we do a lot of it. We 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 are the ones who allow the profiling to continue because we're letting the kids do this. We're letting the kids give this image that they see on, you know, whatever they get it from via videos, you know, a, a video, uh, whatever. You know, when I was growing up, uh, NWA was the image, and NWA, all black. You know, Easy E, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, and Ren, MC Ren, those guys, all black, bad as they wanted to be, right? And so the profile was if you were all black, you know, that was <laughs> – you were gangster. Uh, for those in, my, in the neighborhood I grew up, the, the Crip Gang was, the, you know, the pretty much the big gang. And so if you were blue, any shade of blue. Especially a blue bandana, and I was in marching band in high school, and our colors were blue and gold, so we wore blue and gold bandanas uh, as part of our yeah, whatever you want to call it uniform. You know, uh, we would get profiled. I got stopped and frisked by a police officers because of that. So uh, we have to train and teach our young people uh, that if you want to be respected by society, then there is a there is a a particular image that you must portray. If you portray anything other than this image, you will be profiled. So, anyway, uh, you know that's my two cents, four cents, six cents, a dollar on that. I, I am praying that um, that we can get beyond, move beyond this uh, this breach of race. Uh, and, and I've said it before, and I, I'll say it again publicly, and this is going on the record. Uh, I believe. That since President Obama has been elected, we have been the most racially charged uh, group of citizens, both classes. I mean, well, not just races, but class. You know, uh, uh, you had this class division. You have this 
education division, you have this race. All of this has been heightened, heightened, greatly heightened since uh, Obama's uh, first as his run, since he began campaigning uh, way back in 2007, it's been heightened. And, and it's, it's, you know, I'm praying that it does not increase, but, you know, we have to be realistic about that. All right, so that's my rant. <laughs> I hope I didn't bore you too much, but we're going to get into, I'm going I'm to take this break. And uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to get into about, we're going to talk about the pastor's past. How accountable should a pastor be about his past? And when I say about a past, I, I, I'm not talking about what is already known, but what is unknown. So I, I'd love to get your voices, your opinions about that. And we're, particularly we'll be talking about uh, Bishop Paul Borden and what's been going on with him and some other things, some other uh, stories of interest that may uh, – uh, uh, some other stories of interest that uh, uh, relate to that. So we're going to take this break. And on the other side of this break, we will deal with that. We'll be right back after this. of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions are made. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. When we made our commitment to the Gulf, BP had two big goals. Help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with BP for 24 years. I was part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf, and I can tell you safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere. Ever. 
because that wonderful bouncy roll around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. We're glad that you joined us. Uh, we're excited about another being, being back on the air, having taken a vacation. Uh, right before the break, we said that we would be talking about uh, interesting dynamics that's going on in the church world. Uh, and more directly, uh, speaking about what's happening with Bishop Paul S. Morton, Sr. Uh, those of you who do not know, Bishop Paul S. Morton, Sr., the presiding bishop of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, which is in its 20th year. And, and you know, I was once a part of that, uh, attended uh, Bishop Morton's church while I was a, a student at Dillard University in uh, in New Orleans and had a wonderful time at uh, at the church and uh, fellowshipping with friends and a lot of people I got to meet during the years. And, you know, he was elevated to the office of bishop, and he he has amassed uh, thousands of, of, of pastors and leaders and, and members who have joined him in this in this uh, what this new denomination uh, or fellowship, however they however they put it. Um, and in their last meeting, which was held earlier this month, uh, he announced that he is retiring and, and stepping down as the bishop of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship and and they held an election and someone else was elected um a, a pastor out of Nashville and I can't think what the pastor's name is right now, but he was elected to fill the shoes when Bishop uh retires in twenty fifteen, I believe that is. But anyway, uh so there 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 convention ends, he goes on vacation with his family and while he's on vacation, uh, a noxious blog released um, news of uh, a daughter he's never publicly he's never publicly acknowledged. That is uh, thirty uh, thirty nine years old, and uh, I'm not going to read all the information. That, um, it's a it's a lot. Um, it's quite a bit that he. Um, well, well, yeah, I might as well guess. Uh, uh, let, here, here's the thing. Uh, Paul Morton uh, finally admits to the daughter he's always denied publicly. Um, he's never denied it with his family. He's never denied it with his children. Uh, may have denied it to his congregation. But anyway, uh, here's the story. Uh, Mr. Obnoxious is the one who broke the news uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so in response to uh, the breaking, the, the news breaking. Bishop Morton um, addresses. He makes a response first to his congregation, and then uh, in a statement, a uh, press release. And 
So he says that while in his early 20s, prior to pastoring and being married, he had a short relationship with uh, a lady by the name of Elaine Hawkins. And the lady informed Elaine informed him after the uh, relationship was terminated that she was pregnant. And uh, he went on and took care of his responsibilities until uh, uh, there was uh, the court system intervened in some way. But anyway, uh, I I want to play uh, what. Bishop uh, Morton, how he responded. He was open to his church about it. So I'm going to play the clip of his response to the uh, not so much the allegation. And, I mean, it's, it's the reality. It's not an allegation. So here's the clip. Then we'll come back and provide some commentary. And I'd like to get your feedback about it. Uh, and under the, under the, the question is how much, how much relevant is the pastor's past, you know, uh, specifically, you know, if we know that the pastor was a former something, a former ad, former addict, a former alcoholic, a former whatever, you know, they include that in the testimony. But what about the stuff that they don't include, or the ones who never had a a, a a tremendous testimony like myself? You know, I've never had anything big or bad that I had to be free from before I got into ministry, it, because I started ministry as a child. So. Uh, you know, the, we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, but here's Pastor Morton, Bishop Morton's, uh, addressing his congregation, changing a generation church in Atlanta. Take a listen. They were dealing uh, with an incident that happened in my life uh, 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And I wanted uh, you to understand, and of course I didn't deal with it on vacation, uh, but to reach, of course, Minister Robin Ware and the Ware Agency. So that I'd be able to put out something this week because uh, you just can't hear one side of the story. Because I am not saying, you know, over 40 years that I've been perfect, but I do know that mistakes that I've made, uh, there's mistakes that I have corrected, and that was one major mistake that I made that I did correct. Uh, but people don't mention the correction. They don't miss the corruption. Um, but I am determined because I know what the devil is trying to do. He wants to take my influence um, because, you know, uh, no preacher's no good. The preachers ain't dead. But I know that I have been living a godly life for God. And I thank God for it. And I've never been in the so if you belong, you'll be able to uh, get it this week so that you will really be back tomorrow where you'll be able to get my side of the story because inside the story, you know, people tell their half, but i got to put the right stuff in between, the stuff they don't stand, uh, that, that they don't explain. So if you just leave the stuff out in between, you say, oh. But then when I put my stuff in between, then you say, oh. Yeah. 
determined, and I am going to, you ain't going to stop me from preaching, teaching this truth. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. Hallelujah. All right, so that's Bishop Morton's story. Um, and, and I guess you could call it a rebuttal against the release of this uh, information. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm a I'm a child that was born to a preacher out of wedlock. I am a child that was born to a preacher who was married. My mother was married, and they weren't married to each other out of wedlock. So, you know, I can identify to a degree with the story. I am also a preacher who has had sex outside of marriage. Yeah, you know, I've been single. I I have been a fornicator. Uh, I, I, yeah. Should I step down? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll step down. I have been a fornicator. I have been. Uh, I have done that. Uh, I have had where you know the child has had to be aborted. And you, you know, those of you who know me know that I'm, I'm pro-life. You know, pretty much was stood up against abortion and things. Yet. Uh, that was a situation where it had to occur, and that humbled me quite a bit. And I'm making this confession on the air, you know. It's 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 a big deal. Now, the question I, I, that that goes to this is how much of that should the, the should the people know before I get to the church, or should it know uh, while I'm at the church? And for example, you know, I, I'm pretty transparent with my with my members. Uh, uh, I'm not, I ain't telling them all my business, but they, I, I let them know that I am a human, flawed male that is subject to make mistakes. And before you try to, you know, before those mistakes, you know, get out of hand or anything, I will admit up front that, you know, I'm flawed so that you don't expect more of me that should be expected. Now, that is not a crutch, nor is that an excuse for me to go, because I'm doing a teaching series right now on liberation and, and freedom. And I've been using the text, in particularly in, in Galatians 5 and 13, um, just because we have a liberty, we should not use that liberty as an occasion to uh, fulfill the lust of the flesh. We should not do that. And Romans, uh, uh, Romans comes back and, and Romans 12, I believe, you know, we comes back and, and reiterates that. Uh, Romans 6 in particular, uh, all the way through. Um, uh, but when we're talking about a preacher's past or recent past or far-reaching past, uh, far-distant past, how much should be revealed to the congregation? And I'm the type of person, um, if you ask, I'm going to tell you. You might not like it, but I'm going to tell you. Um, I, I, again, because I believe uh, transparency is the key, particularly to ministry. When you see Christ, uh, you see the transparency. You see when he afraid, was afraid. Uh, you, most people, when they read the story of him being tempted in the wilderness 40 days, uh, you don't uh, – they mostly read through that as moments of victory. You know, he – Spoke the word and overcame the devil, but you don't see the agony. You have to, you kind, of, you have to put in place the agony he was experiencing at the same moment. The man hadn't eaten for forty days, and the devil tells you, "You can turn this bread, this stone into bread." That's agony. That's that's a great tempting. And then to be tempted with power and to be tempted with all the other things that the enemy did. Uh, that 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 shows a great sense of both will 
and strength in soul and body. And but at the same time, you can see the human side when he is confronted uh, by a crowd who brings to him a woman caught in adultery, the very act of adultery. While the law said condemn her to death, uh, his response to those people was like, okay, if you don't have a sin, go ahead and do it. And according to the story, you know, everyone from the youngest to the oldest dropped the stone that they had, whatever it was that they had, and they walked away. And he stood back down. He's writing. He looks up again. He asked the woman, where are the people who accuse you? And what she say? They're gone. He said, well, if they can't accuse you, if they don't accuse you, I don't either. Go and sin no more. Um, so my question is, regarding regarding a pastor's past, how much should be revealed? Uh, and I know a lot of shysty preachers out there who use their past as a means of manipulating themselves to get to, you know, a good church or whatever, you know, getting what they want out of the gospel ministry. And I think that is horrible. I know preachers who were, you know, who were con men before they got saved and became better con men after they got saved. You know, it's, it's sad to hear about the stories of men and women who enter ministry distorted, uh, that allow their past and uh, the notion of God's grace and forgiveness and all of these things, uh, they allow that to be means of manipulating people. And, and I am I'm convinced that this is not the case with Bishop Morton. Um, the fact that Bishop Morton did not let his membership know, you got to understand, this man pastors 30 30,000 people, you know, he was pastoring thousands of people. When he was appointed to the church, there were hundreds of people, you know, and there was no way. I I don't know, you know, I don't know why she she wasn't in the official photographs with the family, but according to the story on both sides, the mother uh, who is now uh, has gone on, transitioned, the mother did not allow, for whatever reasons, did not allow uh, Bishop Morton to be an actively active participant in the child's life. The mother did, according to both parties. Uh, it was because of the mother that the legal system came, got involved. Uh, but the mother is dead. She can't defend herself. The daughter, uh, whatever, for, for whatever reasons, uh, coming forward, uh, allowing the story to be leaked. Uh, we don't know. But what we do know, uh, well, at least based on uh, Bishop Boyd's testimony, is that he took responsibility for it. Uh, he, he's never denied the child as the story had originally leaked, you know, to build up the sensation. He never denied the child. He just never acknowledged the child publicly to his folk. His wife knew. His children knew. They, she was a part of the family, just not uh, the visible part of the family. So, in, in in situations like that, how do you how would you respond? And, and it's difficult to to assess. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you, like like I said before, because I am a product of a situation like that. Uh, I I understand how it is, and I have been at churches. I've served as an associate minister at churches where. This was occurring. You know, I, there was a pastor who had several children out of wedlock, uh, and <laughs> didn't acknowledge. But everybody knew. You know, it was one of those open secrets kind of things. And there are a lot of churches who allow have that happening. They're open secrets. 
stuff you don't talk about but you know about. Yeah. <laughs> and then they never come to the forefront until there's some kind of mess or some kind of, you know, some kind of uh, uh, argument or disagreement and that is the people's weapon against the pastor. It may not be the case with Bishop Morton. Uh, but it's certainly the case in some others. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, we'll have a little bit more uh, about this discussion. So, uh, quick break. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. Here's a two-minute meditation from Pastor Lorenzo Neal. The book of Daniel, the first chapter, talks about four heroic young Hebrew boys who lived during a time of captivity, yet remained faithful to the God of their ancestors and themselves. Daniel, Azariah, Meshiel, and Hananiah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were all children like myself when they began serving God even though they began serving God while in captivity. They were young men who had high intellect, a stable spiritual life, and good physical appearances. Serving God paid off for them. Not only did they obtain favor from God, but they also obtained favor from men. But they proved themselves faithful to God in spite of very difficult situations. Of course, you can recall the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to the image presented before them. Yet, when they were tossed into a fiery furnace, even the king himself worried about them. And when he went to find them, not only did he find them well, but he also found the Son of Man. And also, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the king also worried. But we found that God protected him, and he was delivered from the lion. God wants you to be faithful to him. Why? Because he's faithful to you. There's nothing you can do, really. The only thing you can really do is serve him in the newness of life. The psalmist put it this way. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you shall dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Beloved, the key is to be faithful. If you're faithful over a few things, God will make you ruler over many. Gigantic. It was humongous. Enormous, huge build. That's actually when we switched to Vonage. The service is great. I don't see any difference with the call quality. More, I can just pick up the phone, call as it. many family members as I want. 
Ugh, why did I not do this earlier? I'm Laura Pruden, and this was my last bill. Before I switched to Vonage. Time is running out to get Vonage World for just $14.99 a month with unlimited domestic and international calls. Go to Vonage.com or call now. All right, welcome back to Zero of the Day. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I can't 